Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Crystal Falk, the editor of the Toolkit. My guest today is Get Out writer-director Jordan Peele, and this week's episode of the Toolkit Podcast is brought to you by Sony Pictures Classics, presenting Call Me By Your Name, a new film by Luca Guadagnino. A sensual and transcendent tale of first love starring Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, and Michael Stuhlbart. Call Me By Your Name has been nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Picture, and six Spirit Awards, including Best Feature, Best Director, Best Cinematographer, and Best Editor. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone raves, four stars, highest rating. There's magic in every frame. Call Me By Your Name is one of the best movies of the year. Written by James Ivory, based on an acclaimed novel by Andre Osman. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, Call Me By Your Name is now playing in select cities and coming soon to a theater near you on January 19th. And here's my conversation with Jordan Peele. And uh, I imagine when you premiered this about 10 months ago at Sundance, that wasn't necessarily the arc that you saw for these last 10 months of blockbuster into something that's really being considered one of the best films of the year. You know, it's... It, the, the whole year has been a crazy ride, and um, it's very it's very flattering, and and, and I'm, I'm very honored that people are still discussing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I really I I owe it to the you know, the fans of the film who came and saw it multiple times and talked about it, and it spawned conversation and 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 art. So um, it, it's been a blast. My sense is that uh, writing has always been a big part. I mean, people know you from Keen Peel, but I mean that write, you've been writing for a really long time and writing scripts. Um, that sense of I, I, that you wanted to direct, is that something that was always back there, that you were writing material for yourself, or is that really something that kind of came out of the get-out process, which I also understand has been a long process in terms of the gestation? Directing was my first uh, passion. I remember, you know, 13, 14 years old, I was like, I'm going to be a director, that's it. I, I ultimately I have so much respect for film and cinema and and uh, and movies that I sort of went away from mm-hmm. it. I, I went into comedy performing, um, which was fun, and I had a knack for it. And uh, it's you know very rewarding. But ultimately, I feel like that ended up teaching me what I needed to learn in order to come back around and you know the make perfor- this movie. The performing aspect. Because a lot of people have said this before, that the performing aspect, both in terms of the writing and the directing, is a component that kind of like unlocks locks you as a storyteller visually. Is that is that is that is there a comp- I, aspect? Of that? I know I would not have been able to direct this movie the way I did if I hadn't mm-hmm. been an actor. I mean, there's many things you learn that learn in, in in acting. One one is that acting isn't very fun. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes it can be a blast, but it's a lot of downtime. A lot of downtime, and that's down, that downtime is stressful. So, um, you know, with a movie like this, I could sort of approach the actors in the beginning of a scene or in the beginning of the, the project and say, "Look, I know there's this isn't necessarily always going to be fun. There's not there's going to be physical challenges, emotional challenges with this thing." Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of continue to unpack the character in in language that makes sense to me as a performer. It's an incredibly, I mean, it's an incredible film. But for a first film, you know, I think one of the things, I used to teach film school, and one of the the aspects is is that you could talk to a first-time filmmaker and there'd be an idea of all the ideas are there, you know, and also why they chose 
to camera and all these things. And I find that the thing that develops that was so present from right here in Get Out is what gets lost in all of that is the audience. Like, what's this doing with the audience? And I feel like when directors get more established, they're always, all these decisions get filtered into where is the audience in relationship to this house is making them feel. And this film is amazing because it, it's, so, it's so in control of that. I'm curious if comedy is part of that that aspect in that training that maybe other first-time directors don't have because I, I mean, I've never done comedy, but I have to assume there's an immediate, I'm so aware of how this is hap going on with the audience that I think maybe filmmakers don't have until <laughs> it's too late. It's their, you know, they're at Sundance or they're mm -hmm. at, is, that, is there something and to that? Yeah, and it's also, it's, and it's directly related to the thriller horror genre as well. But, you know, I, I, I started my career doing live comedy and when you're up on stage trying to get a laugh, you're trying to get a laugh from the entire audience, mm -hmm. and you're trying to get that laugh at the same time. You know, so it is, it is, it's just what you say. It's this art form that is about orchestrating the audience's emotion, and mm -hmm. through through tension, through release, whatever it is, you have to know what an audience is thinking and feeling at every moment, and, and ultimately you want to subvert. What, what what direction they think they're going to kind of get that little laugh, whatever laughter is, this, mm -hmm. you know, little mini catharsis. Same thing with this with this movie, and I, you know, with with Get Out, the I, I knew the project was was pretty daunting. Just if you you know, if you just bring up the idea of look, I'm, I want to make a horror movie about race, which so, all the white people are. Bad. Where, where all the white people are b bad and black people are going through misery for the entire time. It, it doesn't seem like a movie that could be a crowd pleaser. It's also, I imagine, a hard one. Well, I mean, let's talk about that because horror has always been this great way of dealing with the issues of the time. You look back at the 50s, right? And it's like, if you want to see what McCarthyism and all that stuff is, it's, it's still present in the horror films. Those mm -hmm. kind of dramas are already so dated. But I don't think it's just this matter of, oh, well, we can hide race in a horror film. There's an incredibly hard balance because you have to keep the audience involved with Chris. Mm -hmm. You have to keep Chris in the suburbs, right? And there's like all these different components that I have to assume uh, that was a balancing act in terms of how you were going to structure this, right? I mean, what was that, even that worst fear of that audience, that first audience, like when you showed it? I mean, the, wor the worst fear would be that... Um you know, people are essentially, it's an entirely uncomfortable movie. It's a reminder of everything that's wrong with this country, but without the escape. And people would, uh, people wouldn't have fun. Um, so yeah, it, it is this uh, really difficult balancing act to frame this story in a way that everybody gets. and. It ultimately comes down to a few basics, a few mm -hmm. basic principles. One is the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth works in art when you hit on something that feels true or people that uh, know it's true. Uh, it, 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 it entertains and it does that with comedy, it does that with horror. Um, but then an another piece of it is, is the, the acting and the performances if, if, uh, and it's connected. If the performers are grounded if they if the characters feel real and feel true 
um, then you know what you have is you're, you're filling in all this moments with this gorgeous meat of, mm -hmm. of artistry and I had uh, I, I was fortunate to have amazing actors the in terms of because there's also that component too of um, you know why doesn't Chris just get out and I imagine that's the other aspect of this right. is, is like yeah you know you wait till about I think it's like right around the 60 minute mark before finally someone you know, someone says get out someone says get out but I mean I have to imagine that that is also this balance it's like totally develop okay deliver the truth he's well if you deliver it straight he's he he would I'm leave not tell, I'm telling you a 40 year old white guy here but <laughs> <laughs> you get the fuck out you know yeah. right I mean well that and this is this is the, I mean uh, great observation the the one of the purposes of this movie was to cure or to find a, an antidote for the lack of representation of what I think of like the black horror audience need from a horror film that we never get. This idea that um, we, 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 just wanna, we just want a protagonist to be smart enough, to be uh, perceptive enough, mm -hmm. to be, um, it, have, the, have the emotional uh, composition that uh, matches us and that we would be, that would represent our, our point of view. Now the tricky thing is, of course, kind of like what you're saying, if you made, um, if you made a, a horror, began a thriller and the, the lead character immediately gets out of that situation as soon as something weird goes, goes wrong, mm -hmm. then you have a short movie. And, um, or an expensive movie if you're following him from uh, location to location. So it becomes about how do you weave a story where the, it makes sense for the main character to uh, do whatever he or she is, is doing. And um, in this example, the, I, I turn to the Ira Levin school of storytelling. He's a novelist who wrote um, um, what the Stepford Wives and, and Rosemary's Baby. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Um, he did Boys from Brazil and Death Trap as well. But this this idea of taking baby steps towards the uh, eventual horrific conclusion and justifying why the character doesn't flee by pointing out that these little steps into weirdness are true to real life. You know, in Rosemary's Baby, it is it is true that women um, who are pregnant will will and can feel like her husband and medical professionals and you know the gossipy neighbors all have opinions about how she should her how she should be pregnant, mm -hmm. and that that could feel like a conspiratorial thing enough so that it would um, disguise the fact that we're, they're actually devil worshippers uh, resurrecting Satan. And that she would feel confined. And that she would feel confined. To stay there. Well, I mean, one thing that worked so well, kind of like in that, that first 20 minutes, that really seemed to be this magic device for you was awkwardness. Mm -hmm. It's so awkward. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in that awkward, there is the racial component. But there's that thing where it's like, we can identify so much with Chris because being in this family, I mean, part of it's just meeting a family, but then part of it is dad is this, you know, goofy mm -hmm. um, guy, and the, the brother wants to wrestle, and it's, 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 it's this very element of kind of awkwardness as a way of subjectivity of us being with Chris mm -hmm. and feeling, I think, what, exactly what you're talking about, right? Like, yeah. to I kind mean, of reveal it, but not. 
Well, you know, it's part of the the black experience um, is that we're very conscious of racial dynamics because we have to be. We're the subject um, of this dynamic, um, which is why you know I think we're we're often accused of being. Uh, seeing race where it supposedly isn't and and being you know quote unquote obsessed with race we're not obsessed with race race is obsessed with us but <laughs> the um, the beginning of this film is meant to put everybody in the shoes of um, a, a, a black the, the fears that a black man has to deal with on a day-to-day basis wh- whether it's walking down a suburban street at night and knowing that you could be um, profiled as a villain mm-hmm. <laughs> in that area, or if it's simply going to meet, um, you know, your potential in-laws for the first time, mm-hmm. and they don't know you're uh, you're black. So, in the in the, in the first couple of scenes of the movie, we teach the audience that um, ra- there's something sinister and insidious going on racially, and. Um, what, what happens when we get to the house, it is all these seemingly meaning, you know, uh, harmless microaggressions and, you know, these goofy interactions, like you say, that go down have so much more meaning to somebody who is uh, trained to look for them. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the black experience. And you take it to this next level, kind of like 50 minutes in, where it gets to the point that Chris does need to get out. And there's that wonderful lake scene. Um, I'm forgetting the girlfriend's name now. Uh, Rose. Rose, Rose. And he says it out loud. He says what's going on. And you kind of hear, well, that sounds a little crazy, you know. But then there's this thing where it's like you can kind of see, she's like, oh, okay, we're leaving. And it suddenly, after he's gone through all this, it's he's concerned about, it's like it's been put on him how she feels, although he's gone through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that that element it's kind of something that you know is eye-opening for me as a man watching with all this Harvey Weinstein stuff about how much it goes upon a woman to make me feel comfortable about this thing but there's that element there and that kind of gets this profound aspect of this race of in the way that you use that Rose character and that dynamic right that's a really great um, observation I haven't heard anyone phrase it like that and you know uh, yeah there's there's a, a unique dynamic to an interracial relationship because uh, you know relationship you know race can't play a part in a relationship and yet race is is, is everywhere in this country mm-hmm. and you can't get away from it um, you know the 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 importance of that scene for the story for me was that it was part of Chris's catharsis um, ongoing catharsis and revelation uh, as to how to fix his inner turmoil, how to address the sin from way back long ago when he neglected his mother. And this this, uh, demon he's dealing with ends up being this final blind spot that prevents him from leaving here because ultimately he makes the decision that no matter, you know, I've done this once before and it ruined my life Mm -hmm. and uh, in, in abandoning my family. And I'll be damned if, you know, if whether or not I get attacked by another guy at the party or it's weird, I'm not going to walk out on my family a second time. Um, so ultimately, the scene is meant to show the audience, you know, who is thinking, get out, get the fuck <laughs> out. Um, 
why emotionally Chris needs to stay. And that same way with those I really never you feel that you, you right. complete it's so important that we feel this only works if we have that obsession. It's different to rationally understand why he's there mm -hmm. rather than to feel in the midst of that story. Mm -hmm. how he yeah. does that. The other moment is, um, you know, spoiler alert, but the other moment when he... When yeah, he by the way, this movie's, this movie's <laughs> blown for you. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> this you, know, movie's, yeah. you shouldn't be listening. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but when, he's, when he runs over Georgina, and that I'm sorry, which one's Georgina? Georgina's the the Betty Gabriel. Oh, um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's a moment where really you're. That's the moment in the movie where it's like, keep driving, keep mm -hmm. driving, don't turn back. Mm -hmm. But for the same reason, he has to go back and get mm -hmm. her. If there's a if there's a chance that that woman is in there somewhere, um, then he can't leave her on the side of uh, in the road. The uh, Hollywood Foreign Press, the uh, the folks behind the Golden Globe, uh, just announced uh, Get Out is uh, is a nominee or a nominee for um, the uh, comedy musical uh, category, which you know is kind of ridiculous. It's it's a horror film, and I don't really want to talk about that. But there is an element here. I mean, it's not a comedy, but there's a, a tone thing in the beginning. Uh, there's um, there's an element of uh, I don't know these horror moments. You're kind of um, kind of going a little big with there's almost this uh, there is almost a little bit of a I don't know if it's a comedy element but something that's uh, you can't quite go there a hundred percent with the horror and so you're going a little big there's a little something with the music I mean is that, is that was that something in this in this balancing act of of this is 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 a tone thing and and once again it's not a comedy but playing with a little bit of that yeah we're you know the the it's a very unique vibe. I think it's a film that defies genre, and part of the, you know, the, certainly the scoring to me um, was bringing a bringing a, a sinister vibe to these, you know, seemingly harmless interactions. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a satirical element to. Maybe that's what it is. Bring, bring the yeah, bring the 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 darkness out of um, what you know. Certainly, the character, the you know, Bradley's mm -hmm. character, Dean, is you know uh, a character who is very buoyant mm -hmm. and and fun and energetic and casual. Um, but there is a brooding and and a, a promise of a monster to be revealed mm -hmm. in there. You know, I think the you know the question of, of comedy to me, and the question of horror and thriller, um, you know, they're it, it's they're all both forms that need truth, and I think that's where this. The, I think the. I think if, if I had to say, you know, I've been calling it a social thriller, but mm -hmm. if I had to boil down Get Out into a genre, I think the way people experienced it is it's the genre of truth. It, it, um, it's, an ex it's, 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 it's my truth, it's a lot of people's truth, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's one that w was missing from the conversation. Like, I wasn't seeing my experience of you know being in a, a room full of white people mm -hmm. and having them relate to me, um, try to relate to me on my in terms of my blackness before um, anything else. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen that, and that's that's an experience that anybody who is in any kind of other category mm -hmm. um, feels. And there's an element here of also 
I think playing upon our expectation. It seems like a huge component of this is, you're, I, I assume, I, I got the sense uh, you're a big genre junkie. You've, you've watched a lot of these films. So, so that element of what we're anticipating and what we're expecting, you're playing upon a lot I mean, a huge part of this contends on the Rose character, mm -hmm. right? I mean, obviously, everybody keeps talking about the keys, but I mean, that element of she can relieve this awkwardness. Like, th those are such... I have to imagine in orchestrating this in the screenplay, there's these moments that I think in retrospect seem so simple and so perfect. I imagine finding that beat with her, relieving his tension. Maybe they are racist. You know, maybe there is something off here. Or, or even just this idea that I think for the first-time audience that... They're, well, there's going to be one good white character, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's this expectation of, it, that, that's kind of like, that's a big part of the genre in writing it is that audience expectation, right? Yeah, I mean, there's certain unspoken rules to film um, that, you know, you, are, somehow it's going to adhere to certain really politically correct mm -hmm. ideas. You know, you can't, you can't have, uh, y you can't speak, uh, have a, interracial relationship that isn't sort of honored as uh, a beautiful union in film. I had thought about that, but it's, it's really true, I guess. I mean, it's, you know, it, it would seem like flying in the face of um, so many, so much work that, of, uh, you know, civil rights work and so much of, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever, Martin Luther King's dream mm -hmm. that there's free, so, but it is still considered a social sin by many, you know, we mm -hmm. haven't come you know, there's there are m many more um, interracial relationships, and of course, anti-miscegenation laws are, mm -hmm. are eradicated. But um, that that uh, you're you're uh, you're you're kind of, you're not allowed to um, have that go wrong. I think mm -hmm. um, the other thing what you're bringing up is there's this white savior trope. All you know, any movie about race needs a white character that kind of is this signal to the white audience member it's like well, well look we're not saying all white people are bad in fact you and you know rose are good um so being able to rip the the rug out from under that expectation um is something i i delight in and then you know i, I one of the elements of this movie that i thought would prevent it from ever getting made is Whatever happens in the first couple of acts, in the, in the finale, a black man is murdering a white family in their house, and I'm packaging it in a way that we are all meant to be cheering for Chris. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, it's very important to me to use what we expect from film um, to uh, uh, sub subvert the audience's expectations. You've earned, I mean, that end is... You really, right. I mean, it's, it's perfect in the fact that you can get, you, you know, you yeah. do, you it's, know it's Spike Lee does because like, he compared it to like when his mom ground up the aspirin and put oh. it in the Coke because he couldn't swallow it and that, that, he, that he's like, Jordan did that, genius, brilliant. He's uh -huh. like, you know, because um, you can't, you can't put that in a movie. You he did, but, he did. But, but, but I did and, and yeah. it, um. And we're there and I mean, why not? I'm there, why not? You know, we're, yeah. we're there for yeah. I, I just want to switch gears just slightly. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, and I think this is true of a lot of horror films, but I mean, it's definitely true of this one. Um, the economy of means, like you, you guys didn't have a lot of resources here, but my sense, and I, I've heard you see it, say it elsewhere, and I'm wondering if you could give talk about it a little bit, is 
using that almost as a a create a creative crutch to like make better decisions. And I think the one of the things that you know can't get overlooked here is is that all these things that we're talking about, there's a hundred different. You, you probably had a hundred different options. You got to find just the right one. Mm -hmm. And but I have to imagine that also forced you in terms of um, visually telling the story, working with less, right? Yeah, uh, um, I mean that's that that that's it. You, when you're making uh, a movie, it's uh, you really have to really grab the bull by the horns, basically, and uh, this this idea that nothing's going to defeat you, nothing is going to get stop you from getting this vision across. Just is that a dial that you've had in just being in show business for as long, or is it was there an aspect here with Get Out? Both of the screenplay. There's nothing to stop me from, you know, writing this one. And there's, and is there, in terms of also directing this, is that is that something that was a dial that really got turned up for this, or has that just been, you know, years in this business? Yeah, no, it's there. There's nothing that has carried the stakes of directing for me because it's, you know, having never done it, it was still my greatest passion, uh -huh. and the. The victory I was looking for was if, if I if I do this right, I get to make another movie. If I don't, I don't get to make another movie. Mm -hmm. And with my um, with that as the goal, failure was just not an option. Mm -hmm. So if I accept failure, if, if if failure is not an option, that means every challenge that gets thrown at me, I have to look at it as what what positive cho what what choice can I make because of this limitation that um, I can sit and say, look, you know what? That choice I just made that I was forced to make mm -hmm. is a better choice than I originally made. Because in this one also, I think a lot of um, what you would normally see in a horror film is something where there's a lot more cutting, kind of using a cut to, 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 to create something. And this is a widescreen movie and you're really using that widescreen. I'm wondering if you could give an example of that in terms of, because you're not hiding behind a cut. You're, we're seeing so much of this world. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the staging, I'm wondering if you could give an example of that with these longer takes in this widescreen of, of, of a way you kind of you did what you just were talking about, that element of. Um, yeah, I mean, the, well, you know, the, the, the first scene, for example, was originally planned as a you know, much more Hitchcockian, many cuts, many edits, it was sort of meant to exist almost as a short film. There were other elements in there. There was uh, a family inside of a home um, who were neglectful of what was going on outside. Um, and it, it was a lot. And when uh, we ended up, you know, by the time we ended up shooting the scene, it's, you know, we didn't have um, a, a ton of time to um, explore that. Um, uh, well, you know, actually, we 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 sh we we ex that's not entirely true. We explored it the the first time, and I didn't, I wasn't liking the way it was feeling. You mean you were actually shooting? You actually, you were on set. And uh, yeah, I was actually, we actually, yeah, we actually shot, and 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 looking at it, it wasn't. It it, 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 ba it basically wasn't coming. I, I, I realize this is not actually answering your question, but it's mm -hmm. to to the mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to the idea of, of a of a of a shifting mm -hmm. way of telling the story. Um, so it wasn't working, and I went back to re 
um, shoot this, re reshoot the scene, and it's, it's longer takes the way that you ended up doing it. It's, right? it's one take. It's one oh, take. Oh, it is. And and the first time we did it, it was raining, so that was part of what wasn't working mm -hmm. about it. But the second time, I knew we. I don't have. I don't have the money to go back and shoot this thing, you know, in an elaborate way. Mm. So. I basically pared it down to this um, single shot that was absolutely the way it always should have been. But I don't know if I would have been thinking about that if I didn't have the limitations. The only way a long shot works, though, on a low-budget film is if you know exactly what you want. You know, it's like you can't, yeah. you can't, it's, it's when you're figuring it all out that that's the time. That's right. Um, last thing real quick, because we got to wrap up. Can you tell me, I, I don't know this musician, I don't know the person that scored this film. I mean, where did you find, I mean, it's such unique music and it's, yeah. it's really effective, but it's also like nothing I, I've heard before. Michael Abels is a, he, ha he hasn't uh, scored a film before. He is a, a composer who is versed in classical, jazz, African, gospel. He has this wide range of um, genres of, of music. And I sat down with him. He's um, the sweetest man on the planet. Is this someone that you just listened to? Because this doesn't sound like someone that's trying to get into the music business, or no, the movie it, business. No, it was it was somebody I, I ultimately found on YouTube. Okay. Um, a friend of me keyed me up. You know, I was I told a friend um, what what I was looking for, and he uh, sent this link to me. Saw this this piece called Urban Legends of of his on YouTube, and um, I know I knew I needed a new sound. I knew this was going to be a new type of movie, and. I, I felt like for the type of thriller this would be, mm -hmm. it needed something that disarms the audience and sets them off balance and creeps them out. So we talked about it in terms of, um, I want the, uh, can, can you give me something that sounds like almost mm -hmm. like a demonic Negro spiritual? The sound that doesn't exist yet, but not voodoo. It's gotta be something other than that. So he went away and came up with the Siki Lisa, which is the, the, the track when we're sort of passing the trees, mm -hmm. and this beautiful track that's really challenging, really off-putting, but has this decidedly uh, black voices in it, um, essentially doing, uh, making sounds you've never heard before. Um, and so, yeah, it was- it It's was incredibly effective. Incredibly effective, thank you. It's really great. He's a, he's a maestro. All right, Jerome, we have to wrap up. Thank you so much, and uh, you know, congratulations on this project. Thanks, I, I mean, I, I was a fan of it from the start, but I never saw this coming. Yeah. But it, there's something really wonderful about that. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right.